0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex and I'm joined again by Bruno. How are you doing?
1: All good, mate. How about you?
0: Well, slightly in dampened spirits after that result. <laughs> I'm actually on the wine, um, and I think by the time we're done, I think I probably would have got through the whole bottle, to be honest, because I need something to forget that dreadful performance. There was a few silver linings. Um, obviously, our youngsters did quite well. We'll talk about that. And obviously, we saw the long awaited debut of Mateus Franca. But speaking of debuts, I am delighted to welcome a new debutant onto the Palace Way podcast, um, Pat, welcome to the pod, you may better know Pat as Tampa Palace on Twitter, um, the floor is yours, introduce yourself, we're good to hear from you.
2: Hey, what's going on guys, um, happy to be here, finally, we've been talking about getting on for a while, so glad we're finally making it work, um, just like you guys, could have been in better spirits if yesterday went a little better, but still happy to come here and talk about this club that we all love, so.
0: Yeah, no, no, great to have you on. We, we don't want to forget our international fans. And, you know, we've always been fascinated on this pod by international fans in the first place, because the way we see it, maybe this is quite simplistic, but you could pick any club in the world to support in terms of football, soccer, whatever. You're going to call it football on today, by the way, just, just for the record. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Try not to get confused. No, no, no. But seriously, um, you could have picked any club. You could have picked Man City. You could have picked a team that wins every week. So we want to hear a bit about Palace and why you chose Palace in particular, what the connection is, if any.
2: Yeah. So um, I got a pretty good one, actually. So it, my cousin is from Richmond, Virginia area. He's from Virginia. And in 2013 or 14, I remember the year, I think it was a year right after you got, we got promoted. Uh, there was a friendly against the Richmond Kickers. And I just happened to be down there visiting. I really was just getting into the Premier League and getting into things. And my cousin just kind of on a whim said, hey, you want to go check this match out? I said, sure. And we went and there was just, an, just so overwhelmed by the amount of ballast support that was there, the songs being sung, the um, the turnout, the amount of people that traveled from, you know, from England, from other parts of the country. And we kind of just both looked at each other and we're like, I think we've found a club to support, man. So um kind of found me in that way. and. Ironic about that game, it was when Tony Pulis was uh, trying to prove a point that we needed strikers, so he put Peter Ramage up at uh, up top, and I think he scored one or two goals against them.
0: That is something, and that's some story, by the way. I know you, before this uh, this recording started, we were talking a bit about your story and how I didn't want it to get spoiled, and I'm glad I didn't, because that's a hell of a connection, and also just to. Even just to put on the strings a bit about how um you fell in love with the club in the first place, I mean that's a everyone has their story at Palace, you know everyone has that first game, that first moment, and I think to hear it like that is fascinating, so yeah, really good to hear that and um you know, long may your support continue, so thank you for that um I mean unfortunately, we have to switch to a very negative tone suddenly because I think you know. Again, we say on this pod we don't like to sort of break down things into granular detail in terms of the matches themselves, but I think questions have to be asked of that particular game. Um, I think Palace fans will all be, you know, familiar with the fact that we got absolutely drubbed 4-0, you know, pretty much destroyed in the first half, very little to play for, the team sort of looked completely disorganised. I don't really want to dwell on it too much, but um, I think, Pat, I'll I'll start with you. what were your overall thoughts coming into a game like this? Because obviously, you know, Newcastle, they're on the bounce. They've got Champions League football. They're playing some electric stuff. But, you know, we, we've we been pretty good at St. James' Park. So so what were your thoughts coming in?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, no, as a obviously, at least he's not fit yet. Still, he hasn't featured at all year. It was going to be a little bit of a battle. Uh, on that same pitch, at that same ground, they put a battering on PSG, who is slightly better than we are, I'd say. Um, Just a bit. So, you know... I was hoping maybe we could go for a draw, but I wasn't going to be shocked if we if we got a result like this. For me, it was more the the manner of how we conceded the goals. Um, just I can we'll get a little more into the weeds of it later, but um, just quickly, they had four of their ten shots inside the six yard box. Forty percent of their shots was inside the six yard box, and if it wasn't for Anthony Gordon just not bringing his shooting boots, it could have been five, six, nothing at halftime. So. Just a lot of easy, easy, easy chances we were conceding, and that doesn't sit right with me. But overall, for the result, I don't think we can react too strongly with it. They're flying right now; they're in great form. Yeah, it's one of those things.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where, with Roy Hodgson, um, you're getting a manager who will give you consistency. You will stay in the Premier League. You'll maintain a mid a mid table position um, throughout the season um but you also have those results where your team just doesn't show up and we saw it um creep in during his first fell at the club um I'd say we didn't get it as much the first two seasons but after that the battering started to increase in frequency City Spurs Chelsea United all became effective write off games well lesser United but um and it feels like we're sort of returning to that just a little bit um I didn't have much optimism going into this game Newcastle are in fantastic form and the results In terms of a defeat, I've got no problem with. Um, But mm, the way we played, uh, the way we set up, and the general attitude of our players felt a little bit, I'm going to say unacceptable at this level. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. um, But what I want to highlight is players are going to have off days. Um, That happens. You get one player who has an off day, you get two players that have an off day. But when Pretty much all of your players are having an off day. You can't look at the individuals; so you have to look at the management um, because it's the, at the end of the day, it's the manager that puts the players out and that sets the team up. And I just think we got it all wrong from the start.
0: Speaking of the start, um, you know there was on paper some positive news. We obviously saw that kind of. Uh, Decore Lerma partnership coming back in, and Ward, who to be fair has had a fairly decent season. He's definitely not stood out, but he's been all right. He came back in for Klein, Um, you know, our bench was looking more stacked. You know, on paper, this team is stronger than it's been for a few games now, and I think you know, we've had some benefit from that. Uh, Bruno, you're shaking your head. Do you want to add something on that?
1: We've played a Fulham, uh, who haven't, in, haven't been in great form, a poor Nottingham Forest, and an effectively impotent United side, um, uh, with a weaker lineup. I just, yeah, we had a stronger lineup, but we were never going to do anything against Newcastle. Is sort of my point is even with those players back, we had a lot of those players back before, and we still, you know, couldn't score goals against Fulham and Forest.
0: I mean, I'll, I kind of bring you in on this part as well. Um, you know, one of my thoughts coming into this was an issue of fitness, and I think it. You know, I don't think anyone embarrassed themselves, but I think certainly in terms of match sharpness and and kind of awareness, I think there was always going to be questions to be asked. I mean. Is that acceptable to you? Do you think that's an excuse? Do you think it was obvious? Or do you think maybe maybe the team just had an off day? Do you think it was worse than that?
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of an amalgamation of everything. Um, we're unfortunately not in the situation to have a lot of depth, so we're going to have to kind of get these guys back in. Lerma looked admittedly off, off the pace a little bit. I mean, that second goal, especially when Gordon came in on the back post, he was very late to step out. And uh, that's kind of the reason that cross went in and it kind of started this domino effect of being outnumbered. I mean, the whole match, they were five forward forward line on our four back line. They're completely giving us a numerical disadvantage. Yeah, I think DeCourie was a little slow. Lerma was a little slow, but it is what it is right now. We don't really have the depth to deal with it. Um, And when Roy sets us up with three very defensive midfielders to just kind of sit there and do damage control, it's going to be tough when we're not in full fitness and we're just kind of trying to take those punches and absorb it.
0: Yeah, good point. I mean, it feels like we kind of set up in a similar way that we did against United. I think at least in principle, if not in in personnel, you know, it it felt like we were going to just absorb pressure for the first 20 minutes, half an hour, kind of sit back and gradually build into the game. And when you have such a wonder strike within four minutes, I mean, it's so hard to come back from that and then suddenly just pretend as though nothing's happened I think the mentality the the tactics of the game have to change from that point and I think conceding that early on obviously creates problems too I mean Bruno I bring you in what did you think of that first goal I mean we, I don't want to talk again too much about the goals individually because it helps that there were patterns in each of them and I think that kind of reflected yeah. across the wider game but I mean what did you think of that first goal and how it affected things how did we deal with that how how didn't we deal with it is probably a better question to ask
1: well you're spot on by using the word Patterns, right? Uh, because that first goal basically set um the time for the entire game, which is Mitchell getting outmanned consistently. Um, what I noticed um was Jacob Murphy is just, without a doubt, much faster than Will Hughes, who since his knee injury at Derby hadn't had um much of a sprint in him. And uh, Tyrek was left facing a player who'd gotten away from his man and Kieran Trippier. And as a fullback, if you've got Kieran Trippier running at you, you've got very little you can do because he can put an, an incredible ball. He could even you know, beat you despite his age. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, Mitchell's drawn to Trippier. Murphy ends up un, unmarked in the box and he gets relatively lucky. Um, I think Sam Johnson will feel disappointed but at the end of the day, there's nothing he can do. It was a freak goal, uh, in my opinion. Um, but it was the product of a mistake, um, that then became a trend throughout the game. Uh, and Mitchell got consistently overpowered on that side, and he wasn't helped by Edouard on that left-hand side in that first half being so further forward, but it took until the second half, at which point we were 3-0 down, for Roy to realise that Jordan Ayi a more defensive player, should swap with Edward and cover for Mitchell on that side. And it helped. It did help. Um, but we were still really stretched throughout the game, uh, and I think that was a product of the fitness for sure. Uh, and in the first half, it was an extreme tactical error. Um, that led to a lot of those goals, especially the first.
0: Yeah, I mean, exploiting our left flank was, I mean, it was something that was routine. It was something that was so, so regular throughout that game. And as you say, I think it probably came too little too late in terms of bringing over RU to kind of drop back and support support Tyrek. And, um, you know, Edoard, a lot of people were calling him out for being lazy. I personally think it's a little bit harsh, considering that that's not really the sort of player he is, nor is it is what he's expected to do, frankly. But, you know, maybe he should have done more for sure. I mean... Do you think, I saw some shouts for Schlup to come in. You know, this was a game where we needed Schlup, this is a game where we needed that, that and the other. I mean, what do Only you because of, of the
1: Hughes thing, only because of the Hughes thing, right? Yeah. Schlup has the pace to track Jacob Murphy in that situation, but also based off his current form and the way he's been playing recently, I wouldn't have full faith in him to actually track his man anyway, even if he can. I don't know if he would have it in him to do it, especially not coming back from a hamstring injury. Uh, and I think that's the problem, right? Is half our squad basically have had a hamstring injury at some point this season or are out with one. Um, and that's symptomatic of a fitness problem. Everyone is just being overworked and overworked, partly due to just the strain uh, of the amount of players that we have, the strain of the higher amount of football, um, and the strain of Roy making less substitutions than you are um average manager in the Premier League, you know. Um we haven't made more than three substitutes in a game. Um or maybe we did Still? yesterday, but we hadn't up until that point. Yeah. Um we just don't have the strength on the bench to bring on. But I also think yesterday with players like Hamada and, you know, with players like Richards, there was room to make more than three or four. I can't quite remember what it was. I'm sorry. But um I feel like we're working towards it for sure. Um but no please not Jeff Schlump. Uh, please not. I was I was actually happy when he got injured, which I never like to say. Um, but I felt like it would give France an opportunity coming back. And sadly, it didn't seem to do as well uh, yesterday.
2: Yeah, no, but, just, yeah. You said his name, but when you're talking about somebody that maybe needed a little more pace to to help out with Trippier, uh, I'm, uh-huh, I'm, God, I can't say his name. Ahamada. Ahamada. ahamada, ahamada yeah, yeah. Tough one for the American accent. Um. He's on the bench ready. I mean, he's got great pace. He's played out as a as a wide midfielder also. So we could even look at jump shifting into like some kind of four four two and having an extra body out wide to kind of help with that too. it just we we didn't really have any answers for it. And if you looked at their attacking sequences, uh I looked this up on who scored. Um generally it's usually about 33, 33, 33, you know, percent middle, right, left. Even if it's high thirties, that's pretty substantial. And the 40s is pretty substantial for going one side. Newcastle, 50% of their attacks for the game, 5-0, came down their right flank. That is one of the highest I've ever seen since I've been really paying attention to these things. And you talked about patterns. They ran that same pattern, that same automation, at least five times in the first half, where they overlapped Trippier. Mitchell didn't know who to go to. We had a lot of confusion with who was supposed to step up to Murphy. Sometimes it was Lerma. Sometimes Gaye looked like he wanted to step up and we just didn't really have any cohesion in that back line and yeah. that post was just there every single time.
1: Yeah, it was complete uncertainty. Uh, I don't think people really knew who they were meant to be marking in that first half like you said the Lerma. and I think that uncertainty is what led to Gage's mistake um for that third goal because he was caught in two minds and he just couldn't quite get there and I am you know I'm Mark Gage's biggest fan um and I think he's earned the right not to be criticized too harshly for that mistake sometimes that just happens. Um but yeah, I think also it's a bit of a trend of Tyrick Mitchell to get caught um, with those overlapping runs. I think a lot of teams seek to exploit that side um, against us because for some reason, I feel like I don't see Joel Ward getting um, two manned as much as I see it with Tyrick. So maybe that's something we'll have to look into. And it's probably a. Uh, a symptom of our less defensive attackers and midfielders on that side could be why we yeah. were looking at Lewis Hall, which is why it baffles me. We didn't find someone after that went through.
2: If you look at um, like general positioning with Ward and like their heat maps and stuff on the season, he's not expected to really push high and overlap. So I think a lot yeah, of him might be yeah. just getting caught out of position a little bit, trying to make something happen, being that kind of auxiliary left winger. Yeah. Edouard cuts inside and just being, you know, leaving a lot of space behind him for the other team to exploit. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're spot on there. And I think Edward was very much a passenger uh, yesterday. And Mateta was in the same boat. And that's why, for me, you can't blame them too much. Because with the absence of Eze, uh, Elise and even Ahamada, what can they be expected to do? They had such little service. And they are players of quality, but against defenders of Newcastle's quality and midfielders of Newcastle's quality, which is, you know, insanely high, you can't expect two natural strikers we had a front three of three natural strikers there was very little support in terms of width in that team uh and therefore everything was very concentrated in the middle when newcastle's defensive strength was focused uh because none of these players are natural out wide and we were always just going to struggle um from an attacking perspective especially with those absences as well
0: it was a bit of a tactical master slash disaster class for for each respective team wasn't it i think everything we did fell backwards in terms of how we expected it to play out. I think, like we said earlier, the first goal didn't help at all because it undoes everything you prepare for. But, you know, even then we didn't respond well. We didn't really adapt at all. I don't think our subs were anything to other than just kind of a, a free hit by the time we started to put youngsters on. Um, again, we'll, we'll get onto that in due course. I do want to spend a little more time just talking about the game itself. But, you know, it felt like Newcastle perfectly knew how to play us. And I mean, Pat, you spelled it out there, I think. It is like it was almost as easy as going into like Football Manager and just like attack focusing attack down the right in the instructions because you know that you've got a weak spot there. It almost was so visible, um, and you see it so early on. It's it is almost astounding how we didn't even uh, really try to counter that properly. I mean, how much of that lays lays with Roy? I mean, he's surely got to come under fire for his decisions in that game.
2: The early goal, like I said, he he definitely meant as as a cross. Let's let's keep it honest, but. Uh, even if he did, Wilson was right there. I mean, Wilson was going to head it in if he, if it wasn't, if it wasn't in the goal itself, but especially one goal down, you need to change something up. And like I said, get, get more, get more men, get more bodies on the outside. I mean, they want, they want you to go through the middle. Like, like you said, they want you to play through the middle. They have that really strong, big three, their forwards, like to pinch in narrow, they want you to go. They want you to go to the outside. They, they, they're forcing you to do that. So when we, clog the middle for them that's what makes Trippier have that space and have that ability to kind of play it on his foot and, and do those magical things that he's normally so keen to do I don't know why we just didn't switch it I can get that I understand why you don't want to start Aki in a game like this I, I can maybe don't agree with it but I can at least see the logic in it I can I can see why you wouldn't want to make a sub maybe 15 minutes into the match but like I said you had the bodies on there to Go into a 442 or go into something, switch something up, flop, get IU to that side, do do something. The fact that we just continually tried to do the same thing, and they didn't even try to hide what they were doing. It was the exact same automation, the exact same pattern every time. I and mean, They were just daring us to change, and we didn't. That's just where the frustration with Roy comes in, I think.
0: Uh, of course, it won't derail our season, but I mean, it definitely, definitely exposed some frailties. I think depth was something you touched upon a bit earlier. So I want to bring you in a bit on that, Pat, because it kind of put that in the parking lot, if you'll pardon the American phrase, for for one moment. Um we obviously, you know, it's not going to, it was almost like something you'd roll your eyes at these days, right? We know that the, squ- the squad is inadequate in terms of what we need at this level. We know that it's underinvested in. I mean, it's something that fans are always clamoring for. I mean, I basically want to bring you in, Pat, and get your own thoughts on this because we've discussed it before. But how do you feel about the lack of investment? Do you think we were really exposed here? Do you think it's something that's going to come back to bite us? Or do you think it's kind of a game-by-game situation where you know we just happen to have one of those freak results where it really came to to haunt us?
2: I mean, we could be flying right now. And the fact that we didn't replace, arguably, our best-ever player with anyone is a problem. And, you know, um, and listen, I I try and be very impartial. I try and understand the logic on both sides because, you know, I I don't think that the board sitting there thinking, how can we mess this up for us? I I, I do believe they have the best intentions. But the one thing that I can't see the logic behind at all is the 20 million and allegedly uh, highest earner on the team for a backup goalkeeper that is now injured. That one is the only one for me that's just baffling. I, I don't understand how, how that makes any sense. And I know some people were saying, oh, we needed a backup keeper, but that's a straw man argument. We could get a backup mm. keeper of two, three million quid uh, if we wanted to and still use that money to go get someone else. Um, and to your point about the lack of depth, I mean, it is what it is now. The transfer window is closed. We need to – for me, this is where I kind of nerd out. My my old job, I used to do sports science and stuff and look at volume tracking with the GPSs, those little sports bra things wow. guys so I, oh, I didn't know that.
0: that. I genuinely yeah, didn't know I, that. That's you yeah. should have mentioned that. that. That's I a really
2: good insight. In prof- yeah, I used to do that in professional baseball. So uh I can tell you that volume is volume. It, it, it comes from the game. Of course, the matches are going to be more intense, but it also comes from your training load. So if we have less guys that are going to play, if we have less, you know, bodies that are able to go out and on the pitch and try, then we need to do something in our training to adjust it. Maybe have some lower intensity training, uh, maybe save some legs that way. And I, I would be very curious to look into what our training looks like and if we're doing anything for that because for a, a low you know a low deaf squad we shouldn't be having these amount of injuries and we should be doing something to mitigate that in the weekly training
1: um and to your point about uh dean henderson uh i know the club saw him uh as a opportunity too good to miss uh as a player of extreme uh potential you know he's young for a goalkeeper and he's proven in the premier league Uh, I know we just saw him as an opportunity to make guaranteed an inverted commas profit. Um, And it looked good. Um, That injury against United is, you could say it's predictable. With hindsight, you can say it's predictable. They would have done a medical, um, and they would have done a stress test on that specific muscle to see if that was going to be a recurring injury. And they didn't catch anything. Um, it no longer becomes a question of if the board's gone wrong um, with signing him because their justification is relatively sound. It becomes more of an issue of our medical team. Uh, and now that's cropping up a couple of times, right, with the um, uh, the fitness of the players and the injuries. So I don't know, maybe there's something going on there. I don't want to, you know. But...
0: Maybe we're overworking them. I mean, Pat, I was going to ask. I mean, this is a bit of a kind of, you know, 12-mark answer essay kind of question. So don't worry if you don't really feel that you can answer it. but just given your expertise and your background and without necessarily knowing what the players are doing on the training grounds, I mean, what could we be doing right now for, to just mitigate injuries? And I'm not talking just in, in soccer and in football, whatever you want to call it. I'm talking more in a general sporting sense that you would sort of get in most sports. What sort of things could we be doing to sort of improve the health of the squad in the short term?
2: Uh, well, There should be an inverse r- relationship between intensity and duration um, for the most part. Obviously, you need to be match ready, so you do need to have time to combine those two things because in a match, you're going to be high intensity, it's going to be high duration, but um, you can't always be on like that, you have to give these guys time to recover, there's, there's active recovery, there's uh, different types of like modalities that you can use for these guys to make sure they're prepared, but in, in a general sense, if you're going high intensity, you want to keep it shorter, if you're going longer duration, you want to kind of keep it more moderate um, and, and kind of mitigate it from there. With the, with the idea that you do need to have those two things combined to make sure you're match ready. But, you know, these guys have been, you know, professional footballers for for years. They, they don't really need to be training, 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 training nonstop, especially at this time of the year. So I, I think in, in a general sense, that's what you need to look for. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, um, we don't have the luxury of playing many additional cup games, European games or anything like that. So we don't have that big of a worry, but for a club as kind of small as us, we do have a lot of international players and there's just so many international breaks too. So I think you're looking at, you know, match volume from not only the premier league, but also from international play and um, things like that, that are just really adding up to these injuries. And for the record, it's really not just us. You're seeing a lot more injuries across the board this season.
0: No, no, for sure. I mean, it's something that's obviously been spoken about by all sorts of people, players, managers, you name it. Pat the is probably the most high profile. He sort of almost half-heartedly, but he, he sort of joked about a, some sort of strike from the players, you know, over the, the the volume of games that are being played and the effect that it's having on fitness. Um kind of an aside, because you mentioned the international break. Obviously, Gay he got some pretty good minutes and he should have had an assist, frankly, um, for a really good goal for England. And obviously Johnson kept a clean sheet against Australia. So that was at least a positive to see. But as you say, there is still going to be an impact in terms of fitness on the players. Um, I kind of want to move on to the positives though. I think it's a really good point, by the way. And I genuinely, if you can bring in anything more about um, you know training and that sort of stuff it'd be brilliant because it's it's all sort of a a world that we don't really see or you know we only see what we see on you know cctv as we the club jokingly calls it Copus cope training cv but um you know i th- i'm really kind of curious to this world that you've operated in yourself pat i mean before we move on to the positives in terms of you know i was going to bring in Francer and the youngsters and all of that i mean what have you learned i mean it's such a broad question but what have you learned in, in your experience and how do you think it applies to soccer in the way that maybe uh, I'm going to Didn't
2: we soccer. say we were going to call it football for this one? No, yeah, no. we did. I'm on your pod. I'm, I'm doing your language.
0: <laughs> football, soccer, whatever. You know what I mean. Um, it's how do
2: you... Yeah, it's football.
0: But how? How can? uh How can we take your learnings from sort of the world of baseball and your 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 decades experience and apply it to something like football? What What sort of things are transferable directly? I mean, it's just just a brief aside, but I'm I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah.
2: So first of all, um. My boss was English, and he brought over all the sports science stuff. He worked for West Ham. He worked for Manchester United. Oh, he wow. worked yeah. rugby league with, uh, with Miss Vikings, I believe. Um, so he is a very well-known guy. And so he kind of brought it from, you know, football to us, and now I'm bringing it back. To give you a very kind of elevator pitch, dumbed down, there's something called acute to chronic work-rest ratio. Um, so basically, if you look at these GPSs, you'll – come up with an average volume of what they do daily for a month, but usually it's about 28 day scale to a seven day scale. And whatever that average is, if you go too far above that average in a given week, usually the numbers are around 20 to 25%. That's really, really significantly increasing the likelihood of injury. Or if you go too far below that average, again, about 20 to 30%, you're increasing the likelihood of becoming deconditioned. So you have this kind of window that you want to stay in that would be about 120 to 80% of what your average is. Stay in that window. You're going to get all the benefits of staying conditioned and hopefully mitigate the risk of injury. If you go too far up, you're going to possibly get hurt. And if you go too far low, you're going to possibly get yourself where you're not in the best shape and you're kind of, you know, hands on your knees, breathing heavy at the 85th minute. The Jeff
1: Schlupp situation. Um,
2: Exactly. 100%.
0: So my main takeaway, there is absolutely a sweet spot. We're trying to hit it. And as you say, I mean, there's such a, a level of transferable skills between sports. But yeah, we have paid professionals at the Palace that do the same thing. And I'm sure they'll be asking themselves these questions every single day in terms of how we can reach the levels that we can. Um, you know, it's not like they're they're sort of sort of idling around and you know our, our sort of physios or analysts everyone is just kind of like oh we've got an injury crisis oh that's cool that's not a problem that's not reflective on anything we do obviously there's going to be scrutiny obviously they're going to be yeah. the first people to ask themselves what can we do better here let's not um let's not go too hard on them but you know there is obviously some concern here and um, I don't want to dwell on that too much longer um because I'm aware I myself have been waffling a bit but uh it's it's all a really interesting sort of world that um we don't really get to see so thank you for your insight on that Pat. um
2: Sorry for going down the rabbit hole a little bit
0: on you. No, but it's a good rabbit hole. Myself, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. Again, it's something we don't really see. So it's really good insight. Um, I want to talk a bit about the positives because despite such a comprehensive sort of thrashing, um, there's obviously some really strong positives here in terms of the young players we saw. You know, we bring in Ozo for a cameo, and More importantly, I think Raksaki and then obviously Franca come in um, and do absolute wonders. I mean, they don't actually score goals. They don't change the game in, in, in terms of you know, the final result, but they still show real promise. You know, Raksaki had a, had a shot on target, for instance, pretty early after coming on. He looked incredibly creative. We saw kind of Wilfess dribbling, cutting in. He looks again, rather impressive. And, you know, as much as Roy, I think, was, was quite keen to say, don't read the papers, don't get too excited, he clearly seems to trust Raksaki more, which I think is really promising for someone as stubborn as Roy when it comes to playing youth. Um, and obviously, we can't, you know, we will not be doing justice. We didn't talk about the main event here. Mateus, France are obviously coming on and looking reasonably bright. I know, Bruno, you might have some thoughts on that, because you mentioned, you did mention that earlier. But um, in fact, I'll bring you in first, Bruno. Sorry, Pat, I, I was going to bring you in. But I think, uh, Bruno, I want you to discuss first about Mateus, France, uh, the context and, you know, just for a reminder, and then obviously how you felt he performed. I mean, take it away.
1: Well, I'll start by saying that his introduction to the game really changed my personal outlook of it. Uh, At the end of the 90, or 90 plus 5 or whatever it was, uh, I was able to go away feeling less frustrated than I probably would have done otherwise, and he supported me there. I thought he came on, and he was immediately a positive force, pretty similar to what I've seen from Ahamada so far. He's a player that, both of them rather, are players that so far have been subbed on and have made positive, uh, direct, and dynamic changes to the game. And what I saw from Franca that I really didn't see from anybody else, and I know it was against a team that had resigned themselves to victory, um, was a hunger and ambition to get forward. And five minutes into his debut at St. James's Park, the guy cracks a shot from 40 yards. It doesn't go too far over the bar, uh, which is a sign of confidence. And based off the technique in which he hit it, a sign of ability as well. And I think we can come to expect... Perhaps some Wonder Girls from him in the future, just based off the way in which he hit that alone. I promise I'm not over exaggerating because I've watched a lot of him at, bottom, uh, at Flamengo and he was, you know, a hell of a player. Um, I think he put in a really solid performance for a 19 year old and we can be excited for very promising things to come. Pat, what uh, do you think?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I want to echo uh, the exact point you made that it, it did really feel like. a a breath of fresh air when he came on i'll further it and say that if uh jez scored on that ball that he played to him i would have celebrated it like we won the match like that would have been incredible it was it was a great play watching those two link up but um he just he looked the part man i mean i I know i i kind of pride myself on being the objective kind of look at the numbers guy and that's not really numbersy of me to say he looked the part but he just did his technique looked great he looked very comfortable out there um like you said, take with a grain of salt because they're already up four nil and they had the game put away. But we had 15 shots of our 17 shots in the second half. 15 out of 17 in the second half. We had can- 17
0: shots. I didn't yeah, but three that.
2: of them were on target. So, like, yeah, that's was- the issue, right? <laughs> nine and nine of them were via So, I mean, I'm not trying to make it seem like we did better than we did. But uh, out of those 15, I would I would say maybe 10 or 12 of them came when when Franca came on. So. He made a huge difference. He had the most created the most chances out of any player on the pitch, including Newcastle players, in his 25 minutes or so that he was on. Um, he just looked like it was that part we were missing. Like we we're obviously missing Eze. We had these three guys playing midfield for us that harkened back to the days of McCarthy and Luca and Cuyate. and just getting that guy. Yeah, the 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 cringeness of that. I know um, the viewers won't see that, but I just shuddered
0: visibly. Shuddered. Um, on the zoom call because oh that was not the one was yeah,
2: yeah we'd want to go back to that but just having him come on and, and providing that spark centrally and drifting wide and you know he looked a lot like Eze when he plays I mean it's not as good as him obviously yet but he had that same kind of stylistic ability that same kind of technique and I'm really excited to see if we can get those two on the pitch at the same time maybe at least say on the pitch back healthy too I mean that's why I'm not so what was me and sky is falling because we got a lot of players that are ready to go we just got to make sure they get fit and I think we can judge ourselves once that happens.
1: Yeah, I think I the mean, transitions. Yeah. yeah, go. I was just going to say two things. Um, which is Francer at cam, which is interesting because in his pre-match presser, Roy said, "Um, don't expect you know France to be a player that can play every position across the forward line." Um, yet we know the club what sees him as a left winger, uh, but we saw him as, as an attacking midfielder, so that was interesting, and he seems you know, bright and relatively accomplished there. And he was also pretty physically um, present at the Premier League level just in those minutes. It's a very um, brief period of time, but I don't think he got out-muscled much at all. And there was a moment um, pretty soon after he came on where he played a nice, you know, one-two and formed an attack for us. Mm -hmm. And he did that by holding off a defender. And, you know, Newcastle's players aren't weak. So for a 19-year-old coming from the Brazilian League to do that, just... Even once in that game was really impressive, and it's a skill that I saw David Ozo very much um, brought with him as well, which is rare for academy players. um You know, Jez, for example, Ragsaki doesn't have that physicality and that build yet. But when Ozo came on, he had two duels, one in aerially, and he just bodied the man out of his way. Um, and I that's that. one of Ozo's biggest strengths. Man, he is an incredible talent. We'll talk about him more in a minute, but I just wanted to get out there and say I'm David Ozo's biggest fan.
0: Let's be fair. He comes on about the 87th minute. There's not much to say, frankly, but he came on, sort of clattered people twice. He just and then just just sort of entered the game. You know, he he uh, he looked pretty bright for you know what was only just what five minutes of that of of action. He looked pretty good. Um, to be honest, I think Oza we haven't really seen enough of yet. Um, so again, it would be good to sort of see more of him. But we you know until then, we'll just have to take what we can get and just enjoy it. Um, he looked pretty sharp. Um, all I was going to add, and again, I think really good points there. I mean, it was certainly such a positive to see um, Francis in the first instance and obviously Raksaki as well. But we've gone from having Raksaki as a complete fringe prospect and France as this kind of unknown quantity that we bought to two players now that have at least shown glimpses of being solid squad additions that can play at this level, that are good enough. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot of positives to take. But yeah, I mean, obviously, France, are, particularly France, are, was a huge highlight from that game. Um, Bruno, do you think that Ballon d'Or clause is getting met?
1: God knows that I need it. I think we all need it mentally. <laughs> <It's playing. laughs> if he turns out, if he turns out to be the second coming of Neymar, ideally with less injuries um...
0: and wanting to be inappropriate with his sister, but that's another story. Oh we'll, God, we'll cut, that, uh... we'll cut that out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think um, Palace fans will have a lot to look forward to because. We've never really had a Brazilian wonder kid. I'm not counting Andre Moritz in under that category. <laughs> um, but and... Bruno, two
0: free kicks against Wolves. You can't say that. Oh God,
1: oh. Well, Danny Butterfield's got a hat trick against Wolves, and Wayne Hennessy wasn't goal. Okay, we... <laughs> some things don't count.
0: You know, Danny Butterfield was genuinely a like up there with Ben Watson as like weird childhood heroes of mine because that was just the era I was growing up watching Palace in. Anyway, forget that. Um... Jokes aside, obviously the point I think we're trying to make here actually is that you know Francis' potential was enormous. I think he held his own really well. Um, you know this is like his Zaha moment as a teenager. You know, coming on looking pretty good. You know, the two aren't directly comparable. That's not fair. We but... need to
1: stop saying Zaha s because it was thrown out about RakSaki earlier, mm-hmm. and my god, the kid looks like he's you know a deer in headlights. Half the time he's on he's on a he's on a football pitch. You know, he's got immense talent. He's just. You know, blasted League One out of the way, like it's nothing. But we need to stop equating players to Zaha because it's going to put us in a dangerous territory similar to Manchester United, where every player that comes through has insane expectations where they're compared to the class of 97 and to Ronaldo and to whoever. And we need to just, I know why Roy's saying the stuff in press conferences because everyone just needs to not freak our players out because we have so much talent and it hopefully provided injuries go in our favour, we'll all come together in the second half of this season. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just fearing that December spell will be placed, you know, everybody that is in the big six at once. Yeah. And yeah, Brighton. we're going to have
0: a horrible December. And Brighton, of course. Yeah, we're going to have a horrible December and Brighton, because I just have this feeling about smashing grab that will come back to haunt me. But anyway, not the point. Um, you know, I think that was a, a bit tongue-in-cheek, of course, but there is a serious point to be made about easing expectations, despite some really positive flashes. Pat, uh, what are your closing thoughts then on? Um, you can even bring in Ozo if you want, but you're particularly on Raksaki and Franza, so What are your closing thoughts there on what you saw of them and what you can expect from the future of them?
2: Yeah, uh, to Bruno's point with, you know, Rakzaki looking like he's kind of a deer in headlights at times, it's true. And it's, you know, you, you can't really fault him for it as young as he is and being on the big stage. That being said, that's what I'm talking about with Franza, He didn't have that. He looked like he'd already had a season or two of Premier League football under his belt. And I think that's why you do have to temper your expectations, but that's why you do start to kind of think, oh, my goodness, this kid could be really something because he just looked so natural out there. And um, I think I'm not trying to downplay Jazz. I think he can be a great player, but I think we need to be patient with him. I mean, if by rights, he should have been in the championship on loan right now, kind of getting better and owning his craft. So we did him a disservice by throwing him to the Wolves a little bit. Um, but. You know, there's still a player in there, but I think he's going to come a little slower than than most of our fan base kind of assumes. With Ozo, we just got to see more of him, man. I I love him. I, he doesn't he doesn't look like a kid. He doesn't play like a kid. He, he's out there being very physical. Um, another one that probably should have got loaned out, but if he's here right now in our squad list, let's let's see what he's got and let's play him. You know, uh, we don't need to constantly be playing the same three four guys over and over again because that's what we talked about earlier. What's going to cause those injuries? So let's use some of those numbers that we have and. You know, maybe he's not ready yet, but let's find out. Honestly,
1: David Ozo, um you say maybe he's not ready yet. If there's anyone in our academy um that's ready, it's him. Um he played in our tour um in Asia and Australia last summer. Got a got a lot more minutes than he was expecting, and he'd only just turned 17 at the time. Um, and all of a sudden League One clubs were poking around. So, you know, if League One clubs were looking at him um a year ago. I'd say he's on a similar level to Raksaki in his development, despite being three years, you know, younger, which is pretty mental. Um Ozo obviously hasn't had that level in professional men's football yet. Um he doesn't have that under his belt. And I think a loan to either the championship or League One in January would do him the world of good. But we need to see him get minutes, I think, because he is that player for that generation of our academy. I have never seen, you know, in the four years I've been watching our academy, a player with so much physical and technical and mental ability at the same time. And for someone so young, um, it's kind of unprecedented because, you know, Jez has the ability to score goals for sure. Um, but I don't think he can beat a man in the Premier League yet. Um, I don't think he's got that physicality, whilst Ozo, you know, was going toe to toe with Bruno Guimara in midfield. Uh, I don't know if he was still on, but whoever it was in that midfield, I know Sandra Tanani came on. I think that's who he won a header against. So my point is he's got the ability and he's got the potential um, to close that gap between them and to take him to the next level. We need to see him get minutes. And I really hope Roy gives him the chance.
2: Yeah, I think the the vast majority of the academy kids, not just for Palace, but just in general, that, that don't make it. It's not the the technical side of their game. It's the physical side of their game. And OZO absolutely has the physical side. Um, Him, like Phillips, I think has that physical element to him. And then kind of one of our lost boys that because he's been on loan for so long, but he's still, I think only 21 years old is uh, Malachi Boateng up in Scotland right now. Yeah. I think those three have that physical element of their game that is very rare for the academy. I think with and...
1: Malachi and uh, Phillips, though, is that they're in the technical area and in the mental area is less on point, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. But... They they have to kind of learn that side of the game. Where to your point with Ozo, he seems to kind of be more well well rounded in that aspect, and he's what two three four years younger than both those two. So there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be excited for with that kid.
0: Well, isn't that an optimistic note? Um, I think we'll wrap it up there, guys. Thank you very much for your insight, as always. It's been brilliant. And Pat, as far as Davies go, I'd say you're, you're gonna gonna hate me, Bruno, for saying ask, but you were franceseque. You know, you filled us full of promise there and um, again really great to hear and um, not just from your general insight but also from your professional background i think that was really really good Um, i want to just talk briefly about the uh, elections for the fan advisory group that's being uh, held on wednesday actually the election closes as it, ha- as it happens Um, we are um, obviously delighted to have you on but we also know you're running for that um that election pat so i mean you, i don't know if you want to elevate a pitch it the floor is pretty much yours we obviously support you we think you'd be a great addition. You you hold yourself so well as an international fan and the sort of stuff that you bring to the table and you know your dedication is clear for everyone to see. So why do you think you should be on that committee?
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate you giving me the the chance to to talk about it. Um yeah, I'm one of four finalists for the international category. Now, the unfortunate thing with the voting is that you only can vote for that category if you are an international member. So that rolls out, you know, quite a bit of uh, palace supporters. Um but I think I could do a really good job with it. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've prided myself. I'm staying neutral and trying not to be super reactionary with things. Like we talked about earlier, uh, I have experience in the professional sports world. So um, I've been in the office when we've had injuries, and I know what it's like to have the coaching staff yelling and screaming and saying, why do these guys keep getting hurt? And I understand that it's not just – easily black and white sometimes. So I always try and stay, you know, non-biased and try and see both sides the perspective that both parties have. And um, I think that experience and that insight can provide, uh, you know, a really good liaison for the fans to the club. And um, for someone that, you know, is obviously oceans away from, from South London, uh, I've, I can count on one hand the amount of matches I've missed watching, you know, obviously streaming um in the past four or five years. So uh, I am very dedicated to the cause. I'm always trying to recruit people. I got my brother in law to be a Palace fan now. I got my cousin to be a Palace fan. So I'm I'm slowly recruiting in Tampa. We're slowly getting a little bit of a fan base. So um if I got elected to that, I'd just, you know, do that just at a bigger macro level. So I hope uh I can win it. And if not, I'm still gonna keep doing what I'm doing and still love this club.
0: A strong voice from Tampa to the world. Thank you very much. And obviously we can't vote directly but we'll back you all the way and make sure that the word's out there. Um Again, delightful to have you on, and, and thank you very much for being here. Um, I suppose that's it from everyone, though. Um, if you're not already following us on Twitter, please do so at the Palace Way. It's really supported. And it's the bulk of where we post our content, but obviously we're expanding, as you know. Um, we recently launched our kind of slightly rebranded site at uh, thepalaceway.com. Bruno, I see you with your hand up. So while I'm kind of rattling off, what do you have to? Ask? <laughs>
1: Just a little bit of a um, heads up. I can confirm we're currently working on adding comments to our site. Um, so uh, anyone reading our articles will now be able to you know, chat with each other and give feedback on the article and on points discussed within, within the article. Um, that is coming alongside a um, general uh, website revamp, which is now live, uh, whilst the comments will be added uh, within the next couple of months. So just keep your eyes open for that.
0: Brilliant. I mean, we're trying to create kind of like a forum like fan environment, you know, conversation is what Palace fans do best. I mean, anyone on Twitter for more than five minutes for better or worse will know that. Right. Um, and we want the Palace way to be something that's um really at the heart of everyone's experience when it comes to that. And that's why we're rebuilding this site. So, again, we think it's top class. We obviously are just us. We, we've got to think that. But. We really want um, fan comment, fan insight, and and for you guys to really shape it. So please keep an eye out for that. Have a look if you haven't already. So at The Palace Way on Twitter, please follow it. And if you haven't already checked it out, thepalaceway.com is going to be the hub of the future for Palace fans. We promise. Um, that's it from me, though. Um, Pat, brilliant having you on. And Bruno, thank you again, as always. Uh, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from you guys. And we will see you in the next one. Thank you.